Okay, let's see. On this week's TreeCast, you're going to hear from David Shaw, Tavita Pritchard, and Lance Anderson. And if that's not enough, we've got more. Evan Moore, that is. A lot of things to do on this week's edition of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. Presented by the Believe Podcast Network. It is Wednesday, October the 7th, 2020. Hello. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. Hope you're staying healthy. Hope you are staying sane. And hope you are getting ready for another football season for the Pac-12 and for Stanford. If you need help, that's what we're here for. As on this week's episode, uh, we had a lot of... I spent much of my Wednesday on Zoom. I'm sure you did too. But I was eavesdropping and talking to various coaches around the Pac-12 and various coaches for Stanford football as well. So you're going to hear from Stanford football head coach David Shaw during his portion of the Pac-12's media webinar from Wednesday. And also Stanford made its uh, coordinators available to the media on Wednesday afternoon. Specifically, Andrew Luck, Director of Offense, Tavita Pritchard, and Willie Shaw, Director of Defense, Lance Anderson. So you're going to hear from both of those guys as well. And our special guest on this episode is always a pleasure to chat with the one and only, my man, Evan Moore, former Stanford wide receiver and now a football analyst for the Pac-12 Network and Fox Sports as well. Looking forward to getting his thoughts, his initial read on some things around the Pac-12 now that the schedule is out. We'll talk about that as well. So uh, Evan Moore will help us uh, break it all down coming up a bit later on in the show. I'm Troy Clarity. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. You've got thoughts on the show. I welcome them as always. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. If you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe via your favorite listening app. That would be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn. Subscribe, then rate and review the shows and tell everyone how much you love the TreeCast because everyone loves the TreeCast, right? So be sure to do those things if you have not done so already. Looking forward to my 28th season of following Stanford football. So we'll get into all those things in just a brief moment, but first... The wait's finally over. Football, of course, is back, and you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And of course, there's always the online casino. It never closes. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Pac-12 Football Media Day is one of my favorite days of the year. They usually hold it in Hollywood in late July. For obvious reasons, that did not happen this year. So, now that things appear to be officially and finally on track to getting on the field for Pac-12 football, the conference held a mini media day. On Wednesday, as all 12 football coaches, all 12 head coaches were made available to the media for about 25 to 30 minute shots. Uh, the Pac-12 preseason poll was released on Wednesday morning. Oregon and USC were picked to win their respective divisions. Oregon was picked to win the Pac-12. Uh, the North looked like Oregon at the top. Cal number two, Washington number three, Stanford picked fourth, followed by Oregon State 
and Washington State. And it was it was kind of cool to see all the different head coaches, although I was a little bummed because uh, Herm Edwards' uh, session, which is always a must-see, uh, coincided with uh, uh, the Stanford uh, sessions that they had with Tavita Pritchard and Lance Anderson. So I'll catch up on what I missed with Herm Edwards as soon as I'm done posting this show. But it, it was cool to see Kevin Sumlin and good to see him. He was wearing a mask. Uh, you might have heard he was uh, diagnosed with uh, COVID-19, tested positive for it over this past weekend. He says he's fine, so it's good to see him there. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, the Utah head coach, was uh, wearing an Eddie Van Halen t-shirt and uh, was later um, asked to uh, name his top guitarist in history. He said Hendrix, a wide gap, Clapton, Van Halen, and then Jeff Beck. Okay. All right, I'd have Prince round out the top five and maybe put him somewhere else up there too, but I, I can't argue with that. Oregon head coach Mario Cristobal saying Tyler Shuck will get his will get the first look at uh, with the first team at quarterback, so that is certainly something that we will all bear watching, especially at Stanford, since the Cardinals opener is in Eugene. More on that in a few minutes. And uh, Jimmy Lake, the new head coach at Washington, it was really cool seeing him, uh, watching him talk about uh, his proposal to have a 16 college football playoff. Not 16, a six-team college football playoff he has the models drawn up and uh he got he kind of pumped his fists when uh, bruce feldman of the athletic asked him about it and he was like i'm glad you asked me that i've got so many thoughts on that so it was great to see all the pac-12 coaches including david shaw and we start every show by giving you three things that you need to know this week the theme for three things are the three biggest quotes from david shaw's section from David Shaw's session at Wednesday's Pac-12 Mini Media Day. Let's start with number one. Well, Stanford is still awaiting the complete and total go-ahead to have full practices from Santa Clara County. They're hopeful that that comes in by the end of this week. Once Stanford is allowed to conduct practices, there are jobs to be won and a two-deep roster to construct. Coach Shaw gave us a little bit of a peek at how that process might go. I think we've got a very deep football team. I think our our depth led to some of the roster turnover. Um, so uh, I feel good about what we have on our team right now and, and who we're preparing to play. Uh, we'll have a lot of competition at the same time. I believe in as many guys as possible getting dirty. So we may have... Uh, a, a, a two deep that gets set in the next three weeks, but we may have other guys outside that that two deep that earn the right to play. You know, we have some freshmen that may have a small role. We may have some older guys that maybe don't become the starter, but then we'll have their their plays that they get a chance to play. So um, the whole thing for me is to see what our guys have and see what they can do, and um, give those guys opportunity to go out there and perform. That coach says he feels good about the depth on this team and says the depth. Uh, led to some of the roster turnover that we saw, and I think that certainly applies uh, to the quarterback position. And, you know, this is the exciting part. Coaches love this time of year. Who finds ways in to the two deep? Guys that you may not have necessarily thought uh, uh, had, had, had pegged to do big things in the season, but then lo and behold, they play their way into the two deep. Who steps up? Who fights, who fights for jobs and who wins roles? That's part of the fun of uh, building up towards the season. Let's get to number two. 
Well, there are no battles expected at the quarterback position for Stanford, and certainly not at QB1, as Stanford is riding with Davis Mills. And why not when he got the chance, for the most part, and when he stayed healthy last year, certainly proved that he can do big things for the Cardinal, especially as one of the better pure passers in the Pac-12. Cardinal have an established quarterback to start this season. Not all the Pac-12 teams can say that. Certainly not the Pac-12 North, where they're still trying to figure out and confirm who their starting quarterbacks are at Oregon, at Washington, and at Washington State. Does that give Stanford a potential advantage there? David Shaw's thoughts. Well, normally, uh, it, it's, it helps because you're not having a quarterback battle in the middle of training camp. You're really focusing on your starter and getting ready to play and, and catering to his abilities. Um, but this year, I have no idea what advantages are and disadvantages are. That, that's about as fair an assessment of things um, as I've heard. Advantages, disadvantages, who knows what those things are when you're preparing for a season as remarkable as this. That being said, already going into the season, knowing who your QB1 is, can't hurt. Can't hurt. Let's finish it up with number three. And somewhat along those lines, plenty of variables as Stanford works with Santa Clara County. No guarantees about what the county may allow Stanford football to do practice-wise. And when? How is David Shaw dealing with those variables? Yeah, my first computer science uh, class I took in high school, um, you had to write uh, a series of if-then statements um, to make this little this little guy move across the screen. Yep. Um, and that's just where I am right now. That's where we are. Well, um, we have a long list of, of if-then statements. If this happens, we'll do this. If this happens, we'll do this. If this happens, we'll do this. <laughs> Is that not the most Stanford answer ever? <laughs> Breaking it all down into if-then terms? Can any other college football head coach refer to some computer programming class they took back in high school for anything if there is that list out there i i'd imagine it's a pretty short one that might be something for hashtag only at stanford but uh that's gotta be the most the most stanford answer of all time and you know what it applies to a lot of ifs and thens and a lot of other things. I'm trying to go back to my head and trying to remember some uh, some basic uh, programming language, and I can't do it right now. That was, it was that long ago, but uh, totally understandable. And uh, he's he's 100% right. So certainly a lot of different variables that everyone has planned for. And if the county grants certain things, then Stanford will proceed, no matter when those things come. Those are three things. You'll hear from Andrew Luck, Director of Offense, Tavita Pritchard, and Willie Shaw, Director of Defense, Lance Anderson, coming up in a few moments. And then after that, our uh, chat with uh, the wonderful and talented Evan Moore from the Pac-12 Network and SiriusXM Pac-12, one of my favorite guys uh, to talk Pac-12 and Stanford football with. But first, a couple of quick notes. And the big news from Stanford football last week, besides the schedule, was Paulus Nadebo choosing to opt out of the uh, 2020 season and heading on to the 2021 NFL draft. The only surprise there was the timing as uh, Devo is expected to potentially go as one of the first hundred players picked in next spring's NFL draft. And I was kind of surprised that 
that it kind of took this long uh, for the announcement to come, as that announcement came uh, after uh, Stanford announced, or actually after the Pac-12 announced uh, that uh, it was coming back and that a schedule was going to be forthcoming. But Paulson Adebo, uh, one of the better corners that Stanford has had over the years, struggled a little bit early on in the season last year, but put it all together and was able to uh, have some shutdown performances as the year went along. And of course, who can forget that 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 eye-opening and eye-popping interception that he had in big game up at Berkeley a couple of years ago? I still can't believe what I saw, and I was there. It happened right right in front of me. I was on the sidelines uh, for that game. I still can't believe that uh, Debo was able to pull that off. So, has the body type? Certainly has some skills that can still be refined. I'd imagine on the uh, on the next level. Best of luck to Paulson Adebo going forward. I'm sure that he will represent uh, Stanford uh, very well going forward. One thing that David Shaw did uh, also mentioned during his session with uh, Pac-12's mini media day on uh, Wednesday that uh, we did not play for you. Uh, he did mention some guys that are coming back this year and coming back healthy, specifically a couple of offensive linemen, Branson Bragg and Foster Sorrell. He, uh, Coach Shaw is very happy and very uh, excited to see what Foster Sorrell can do this upcoming year. Look, injuries, the big subplot, as many of you know, from Stanford football for last year. And as many guys that can come back healthy and more importantly, stay healthy throughout the course of the year, that is certainly a big-time uh, development in Stanford's favor. So just a little couple notes that uh, we did not get a chance to address in three things because we went a little bit of a different direction <laughs> with, with three things this week. But the big news, at least certainly from the last time that we have talked, is the fact that Pac-12 football does indeed have a schedule. Stanford now has dates on the calendar and places to go and people to see and games to play on specific dates. And it does start with the opener at Oregon on November the 7th. Stanford's home opener is the Pac-12 South crossover game against Colorado on November the 14th. Stanford's other home games against Washington State November the 21st and against Oregon State December the 12th. Stanford's other road games besides the opener at Oregon are big game at Cal. That's on November 27th, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And at Washington on uh, December the 5th, Stanford's seventh game will either be in the Pac-12 championship game on December the 18th or against another opponent to be determined on December the 19th. And I think a couple of my knee-jerk thoughts when I when I saw this when I saw this schedule for Stanford was number one, look, with, with no crowds in the stands at any of the Pac-12 venues, and look, crowd or no crowd, I, I think Stanford has the toughest road schedule going uh, at Oregon, at Cal, at Washington. Pretty tall tasks to 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 win on the road, crowd or no crowd, in any in any of those respective stadiums when you're the when you're the road team. But overall. I think when the crowd is taken out of the picture, home field advantage now potentially is best decided by weather. Don't forget, Stanford, as mentioned, has to go to Seattle on December the 5th. So at Seattle, the first weekend of December, weather should very much be a factor for that one. Oh, by the way, Cal has to go to Pullman December 12th. Keep an eye on that game as, uh, as, as the season unfolds. No USC on the schedule 
It did not work as a crossover opponent. Both Stanford and USC um, had just two home games after they went through their respective division schedules. They each needed a home game and to, to balance it out so that everyone has three home games and three road games in those first six. So it just didn't work out uh, for Stanford and USC to meet uh, on the football field, at least in the first six weeks this fall. Mixed feelings about that from my standpoint. Uh, competitively, that works in Stanford's favor, but just from an emotional standpoint, man, you, you, you're going to miss out on Stanford and USC not being on the schedule this time around for the first time since 1945. I've got mixed feelings about it. David Shaw is playing out bummed. I'm saddened, honestly. Um, I, I enjoy competing against our Southern California um, Pac-12 mates um, at SC and, and UCLA. Um uh, it makes me sad they're not on the schedule. Just as a, a grown up, a Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 guy, you know, you always love um, those Stanford uh, SC and Stanford UCLA games. Yeah, just just won't quite be the same without USC on the schedule in the first six weeks uh, of, of of the season. 9 a.m. kickoffs. That is something that is a possibility for Stanford this year. It's something we're going to see when USC hosts Arizona State uh, in the very first game of Pac-12 play coming up on November the 7th. That's a 9 a.m. kickoff uh, Pacific time at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. It's a mixed bag concerning 9 a.m. kickoffs when you talk to the various head coaches up and down the conference. Uh, Kyle Whittingham at Utah says, yeah, I'm all about it. And, uh, Jimmy Lake up at Washington is, is also pretty excited about uh, kicking off at 9 a.m. as well. By the way, with Kyle Whittingham, don't forget, it's not a 9 a.m. kickoff for him. It's 10 a.m. because that's mountain time. So that's that adds an extra hour. And I think uh, Colorado's also on record as saying that, yeah, they, they'd be interested in uh, hosting those early kickoffs as well. Well, last year when the idea was first brought up about the Pac-12 having 9 a.m. kickoffs, David Shaw was not on board with it at all. So given that during his session on the Pac-12 uh, webinars, I asked David Shaw, given that 9 a.m. kickoffs are now a reality, does that change your thought process on things? My thoughts haven't changed. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's early. And um, I, uh, I got to know Dr. DeMet here at Stanford, um, who just recently passed away, um, one of the foremost authorities on sleep. And um, college kids don't go to bed at 9 o'clock at night. Um, they, they, they just don't. They're not built that way. Um, and they need sleep. And sleep enhances performance. So a 9 a.m. kickoff is not getting up at 8 o'clock and rolling out the stadium to go. I mean, a 9 a.m. kickoff um, is a 6, 6 a.m. wake-up call. It's a 6.30 wake-up call. We've got to get pregame meal in them. Um, we've got to get, get them moving around. Um, we've got to get them taped and activated um, to, 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 to warm up you know, an hour before the game. Um, so um, I, I'm, I'm not a fan. There might be some teams out there that, practiced in the morning and they're getting their guys up every morning early anyway. I say great more power to them. Um, if it happens to be, if one of our games happens to be a 9 a.m. kickoff, obviously we will adjust. Um, but it's not, that's not something that I'm in favor of. So no, he's, he's, he's not about it. Uh, still that, that hasn't changed even now that uh, it's a possibility that uh, Stanford might be playing a 9 a.m. kickoff. And to be sure both schools that uh, might potentially be approached, with a 9 a.m. kickoff, need to sign off on it. 
Um, and so David Shaw says, obviously, look, it's not our it's not our preference, but if it comes down to it, then um, then we'll go from there and adjust and do what we need to do. So I'm not a fan of 9 a.m. games myself, and I'm I'm really not a fan of of, of big game on Friday after Thanksgiving myself either. Then again, I'm not a huge fan of, of a lot of things that have happened this year. You know what? We improvise, we adapt, and we go with what we've got. Another knee-jerk thought to Stanford's schedule is that the Cardinal must go 3-0 and at home. Their toughest home opponent as of now appears to be Oregon State. Beavers on a bit of an upward trajectory overall from where they were sitting a couple of years ago, and they certainly gave the Cardinal everything it could handle in the second half of what turned out to be a squeakier uh, for Stanford in a win uh, over the Beavers in Corvallis last fall. Colorado and Washington State have new coaches who, who didn't get a chance to get on the field this spring before everything shut down. Stanford has got to go 3-0 and at home. Now, Big wins on the road obviously would help out too. We mentioned that road slate, and it's it's a doozy, as big of a doozy as it can possibly be in the Pac-12 this year with this shortened schedule. David Shaw broke down the tall task his team faces when they head to Eugene for the opener. It's uh, always been a hotly contested game. Um, they were they played extremely well last year. A lot of guys coming back. Um, I think it's a big challenge for our team. Um, we have a lot of guys coming back, but a lot of guys coming back that didn't play a lot last year. Um, so um, I think it's a daunting task. I think it's going to be interesting to play in that stadium without noise. Um, I can't even fathom it um, uh, without without fans. But um, regardless of, of not having fans, um, that's a talented football team playing at home. So we have to come in with the right mind frame and know that we got to play a very good game to have a chance to win. As David Shaw's initial read on heading up to Oregon. So big wins on the road would help out too, but somehow I think that given that there won't be much of a crowd, or there won't be a crowd at all at Odson, I should say, and that Oregon's secondary has been riddled with opt-outs overall, and how Stanford's passing game could look and how strong that wide receiver room is for Stanford this year, I have a sneaky suspicion that that Oregon opener is more winnable for Stanford than many might think. Now, This is not a prediction. I'm not doing predictions this year. I have explained on a couple of other occasions (laughs) over the past few weeks, the year 2020 has knocked me out of the prediction business. I'm not predicting that Stanford's going to go up to Eugene and come away victorious against Oregon on November 7th. But it'll be pretty cool. And I think it might be a slightly larger possibility than than many folks might think. So off we go. Hopefully. Let's see how it all turns out. Well, it was certainly fun to uh, poke David Shaw's brain as part of the Pac-12 mini media day on Wednesday. Talked with him on late Wednesday morning. And then Wednesday afternoon, Stanford football media caught up with the two coordinators for the Cardinal. Andrew Luck, Director of Offense, Tavita Pritchard, and Willie Shaw, Director of Defense, Lance Anderson. And let me bring bring you some of those big takeaways from their media availability here and now. We'll start with the defense because I think there are more questions about the defense and what Lance Anderson's unit can do for the Cardinal this year. And I think that 
you know, as much fun as the offense could be to watch this year, the onus is going to be placed on the defense to make sure that it doesn't turn every single game into a track meet. That's not exactly uh, sustainable football on the championship level. So we'll start with Lance Anderson's side of things. And Look, Stanford has had a lot more extra time this offseason. First, with the fact that there was no bowl, and then add on top of that the pandemic. So they've had a lot of extra time uh, since the last time that they took the field to kind of go back to the lab and figure out some things and to figure out the best way forward. Lance Anderson with his thoughts on some things that they found when they went back to the lab. We, we went back and we looked back at things we'd done several years ago, things that we were successful with then. And I think there are a few things that maybe we had, we had taken out of our package that were um, productive for us that we need to get um, back in. Um, I think bottom line and what we want is our guys to have a great understanding of whatever it is that we are doing that they know exactly what they're doing and that they can they can play fast. So in some areas, we've cut a few things out. We've simplified a few things. We've, uh, you know, added a few things. And, you know, and just, just for example, scheme-wise, I, I thought last year we got to the point where we were really heavy on a lot of our coverages where we were like man or match-type coverages. And uh, there are some times that we need to play more true vision zone there are times that we maybe need to help, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, be able to give the corners a little bit of a relief and not man coverage, you know, down after down or some of the other DBs. So we've tried to incorporate a little bit more of that this year that, uh, you know, might give us a little bit more variety, but still allow us to simplify so that we know exactly what we're doing and that we, we can play fast. Yeah, the, the evaluation process is never ending. It continues even during the season. So might see a bit more zone played by the Stanford defense this upcoming fall. And uh, maybe that was something that uh, everyone got reminded of when they watched uh, Arkansas face Mississippi State and compared that to what LSU did against Mississippi State. LSU played strictly man against Mississippi State. Arkansas went to zone. LSU got embarrassed defensively. Arkansas did not. So not sure that, you know, I don't think, I'm not saying that there's a direct correlation that Lance Anderson was watching Arkansas uh, do what it did and go, oh, okay, well, maybe the answer now is to play more zone. I'm pretty sure that they came to that conclusion weeks and months ago. But still interesting to note some of the different scheme things that Lance Anderson is willing to go on the record with and tell us about that we might expect more of from Stanford defensively this upcoming fall. Now, last fall, a lot of guys got experience. A lot of young guys got pressed into service. It's an intriguing process to watch and maybe a, a, a bit of a bit of a hair-raising process for coaches. Lance gave us his thoughts on the process last year of the youth being a part of the team and the experience that they got along the way well you know going through it at the time maybe it was somewhat of a disadvantage because some of what we would have liked but i hope now in the big picture i hope it's a positive i hope that all these guys that got on the field that had a had a taste of of playing you know felt what it's like to get on the field and play against pac-12 competition i hope that it has benefited them in their off-season preparation i hope it'll benefit them when we when we get back on the field this fall a lot of hope there from lance anderson and i think that that hope kind of manifests itself in, in two position groups in particular, where the combination of, of youth and experience 
could dictate how far and how effective this Stanford defense is in 2020. First a defensive group, of course, the inside linebackers. Curtis Robinson returns. That's the good news. Ricky Miazon and Jacob Mangum-Farrar also return, but Miazon and Mangum-Farrar missed much of the season last year due to injuries. So inside linebacker is going to be critical for Stanford defensively if it hopes to progress and play championship football. Uh, what has Lance Anderson seen from the inside linebackers this year? What I've seen from those guys is I've seen them um, really develop in their understanding of the defense and, and where their run fits are, you know, what their pass pickups are and why. So I, I think all those guys are way ahead of where they were last year mentally. And now we just got to get on the field and see if it really does carry over. Yeah, Lance couldn't tell, tell us anything uh, physically because he hasn't seen them on the field as of yet, putting them through their paces in that respect. But very encouraged by what he's seen from the mental standpoint. The other position group to watch for Stanford as far as progressing and making sure that it's, it's holding up its end of the deal are the defensive backs. What can be expected from that position group? I'm going to play you Lance Anderson's entire three-minute response. There's a lot to unpack here and a lot of names to be mentioned here. So I'm going to play you Lance Anderson's entire three-minute breakdown of the secondary for Stanford as he sees it right now. With corner to begin with, um, I think Caillou Kelly played well last year as a true freshman but he is just a second-year player, so he's still competing with guys. Uh, Nick Toomer and Zarin Manley are very physically talented guys. They've got the length that you look for in, in a corner. They're both they're both fast. They're both athletic. Um, you know, Ethan Bonner is healthy now, so I think he's got a chance to compete there. Uh, you know, again, we're looking forward to, in addition to those guys. Hey, what what can Trajan Butler do? I mean, he's a he's a veteran. He's been in the system for a few years now. Um, Salim Turner Muhammad last year was banged up a lot as a freshman. He'll get a full opportunity to compete. Um, even the freshman like Omari Porter and Brandon Jones, very physically talented guys. You know, we'll see if they can they can get in the mix there. So there there is great competition at the corner position, and it is it is just wide open. Um, so we've got to see those guys get a lot of reps and, and see how they separate themselves at uh, the safety position. Kendall Williamson, the few practices that we had in the spring, we we thought he was playing his best football that we've seen since he was here, since he's been here at Stanford. So we are very high on uh, on Kendall. Uh, Malik Antoine at the safety position has played a lot of snaps, um, and he is. I mean, he's extremely smart. I mean, he could coach most of the positions in this defense at this point. He is, uh, you know, he's a high football IQ guy. Does a great job of making the calls, getting lined up. So we, uh, we feel really comfortable with those guys. I think guys like, uh, you know, Jonathan McGill will also compete at the safety position. Um, Noah Williams, um, guys like that. As we move to the nickel position, we uh, Jonathan McGill got a lot of reps there last year. And you go back and you watch last year's film, and Jonathan played well. Uh, he's just, you know, he's got a knack for making plays. Um, and he has a good feel for playing the game. Sure, he might not be as big as you'd like, maybe not as fast as you'd like, but he has done a good job at that nickel position. But we know we got to rep some other guys there. And uh, that's something Coach Akina does a good job is really exposing a variety of guys there because we know each week the matchup might be a little bit different. If, if our opponent has a really good slot receiver, 
Maybe we need to put someone there who's better in man-to-man -man coverage. Um, maybe some weeks it calls for a more physical player. Uh, so that's why we're going to rep a lot of the corners there. Um, Malik Antoine's played there. Noah Williams has played there. J.J. Parson has played there. But we're also talking about getting like Ethan Bonner, Don J. Logan, Omari Porter, Brandon Jones reps there. So we have a lot of versatility at that uh, nickel position. And so then, you know, to your very last question, yes, I think there are some guys who have them, some position flexibility, especially uh, maybe it's between corner and nickel, it's safety and uh, nickel. And, uh, you know, we've seen guys like Kendall Williamson that came in as a corner and now has kind of, you know, found his role at safety. You know, every year that, that kind of happens with, uh, with the young guys as well. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, how it uh, evolves from there. But uh, I think we definitely have some guys that have, you know, flexibility to play different positions back there. Boy, a lot to unpack there from Lance Anderson. And uh, look, encouraging stuff on Kendall Williamson. And uh, Malik Antoine's experience certainly appreciated by the coaches and his fellow teammates as well. I do find it interesting that Lance mentions that, you know, it's a wide open competition at cornerback. And he mentions eight names just to emphasize it. Eight different guys potentially going for, uh, for, two, uh, for two different spots. But I would imagine that uh, Caillou Blue Kelly with uh, Paul Snadebo. Not being a part of this team, Caillou Blue Kelly, I'm sure, is going to be CB1. That is for sure. The key guy to me here is Jonathan McGill. And I was impressed with the flashes that he was able to put forth as a freshman last season, mostly in the nickelback spot. And I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses and how he grows entering his sophomore year. Lance mentions that we could see a bit of Jonathan McGill at safety. So that kind of adds a bit of a bit of a different facet uh, to his game as well. So the key guy to me right now is Jonathan McGill in that secondary. But certainly, <laughs> certainly plenty of things to keep an eye on with that position unit. So those are some of Lance Anderson's thoughts heading into the season. Flip it over to the offensive side of things as Tavita Pritchard. The Stanford offensive coordinator spent some time with us in the media. And you heard Lance Anderson talk about youth and experience. And, and Tavita Pritchard certainly continued that theme. I asked him what he senses the strength of the Stanford offense is right now. I would say the strength is that we have a lot of guys with a lot of experience. You know, we have some depth around here that we haven't had for a while. And, and while we haven't been able to be on the field for a while, um, that also means that guys have been able to get healthy to a large degree. And so um, I think the strength is that, that we have uh, a lot of talented guys who have been working really hard in the off season, um, you know, both kind of at their, at their respective places physically, but also mentally on in our zoom meetings and the other things we've talked about. Um, and so I, if anything, I would say our strength is, uh, you know, the fact that, that we feel like we're, we, we're going to have a good group of guys and not just starters that are going to be able to contribute on this football team and on this offense specifically. So there it is, depth and experience from Tabita Pritchard. Now, what I should have asked him, what I was really curious to know, was which position unit is the team's offensive strength? Because no question to me, anyway, that's the wide receivers. We'll cover that ground, I'm sure, with Evan Moore, who will talk with us here in a few moments or so. The former Stanford wide receiver, now turned football analyst for the Pac-12 Network and for Fox Sports. So, was hoping to get to Vita's answers there on the wide receivers and how, how good that unit could possibly be. 
that's my fault. I should have phrased it a little bit better. But his answer that he gave certainly is still very valid. Along those lines with depth and experience, the offensive line is going to have a, a, micro, a microscope uh, placed upon it, as it always is with Stanford football. If the O-line is, is doing great and moving dudes from point A to point B against their will, opening up holes and protecting their quarterbacks, Stanford does very, very well. If not, then the opposite happens. Walker Little, not returning to the team this year, already signed with an agent. He's down in Florida preparing for the NFL draft and still working to get his degree in December. So that means the show now belongs to Walter Rouse, who earned his baptism by fire last year and was the left tackle starter by game two as a, as a true freshman. He hadn't even been to a class at Stanford yet before getting his first start at Stanford at left tackle. And Walter did, did quite well. Was he Jonathan Ogden? No, but... He certainly performed much better than I think uh, the expectation level of him might have been amongst many folks outside of the program. So Walter Rouse is in at left tackle now. You can, pen, you can put that in pen, I believe, right now. Who pushes Rouse? Davida Pritchard's thoughts. I think early contenders and just guys who you saw last year who were um, you know, guys that played some tackle for us. Obviously, uh, Barrett Miller and Jake Hornerbrook both filled in at tackle at different times. Uh, and so they have the ability to uh, provide depth at that position. Um, you know, and then obviously my, my next thought is, uh, you know, our freshmen, our guys who are going to be here, who we still have to see, like, like Tanner, play live football with pads on. Um, uh, you know, Miles Hinton, uh, Pogo, um, Connor McLaughlin. And so those are all guys that we have to kind of see where they are, you know. But if you think back to a year ago, I would have had the same answer about Walter Rouse, uh, you know, not thinking – that he was going to go start in his first game down at the Coliseum, you know, and he, he filled in admirably for 11 games. And so I think, I think, um, you know, when you think about depth, I mean, we are very open to any of those freshmen pushing for uh, uh, playing time and, and providing depth behind Walter. Um, but really, you know, I mean, this is a, we're going to have more competition in the offensive line room uh, than we've had in a while. And that's something that's exciting for us. Uh, you know, because of iron sharpens iron. It makes us all better. And we're excited for the competition that's going to be had, um, not just for those starting spots, but, but, you know, you guys are no, you guys know when we have depth, we like bringing in extra guys too. And, um, and so we're going to have fun competition there. We're going to have guys ready to play and we're excited to, to get to work. Yeah. Tavita with the reference there that, uh, Hey, maybe they can go extra linemen now this year, hopefully, because let's face it last year, they couldn't go jumbo. They couldn't go over because they didn't have the offensive lineman to spare. Sometimes going into games, many times going with the ga into games with only six healthy offensive linemen to play. And he mentioned some of the freshmen, Miles Hinton, uh, the head of the class there, uh, the freshmen that, that could make appearances on the offensive line. That's all fine and dandy. I hope they do well. I hope we do not see them on the field this year. Get a year of college football level conditioning and strength uh, training underneath you, and hopefully we see you guys in 2021. So hopefully those guys remain names uh, to be uh, to be seen um, in, in the future. And hey, if they do play their way onto the starting lineup, hey, all right, great. Hopefully they've earned their way into that status as opposed to being shoved into the pool because there's no one left uh, for them to play at that position. Quarterback Davis Mills obviously will have a spotlight on him. 
as arguably the face of the Stanford football squad from a player's standpoint. What does Tavita Pritchard expect from Davis Mills this season? Take the next step as a leader at the helm of our offense and really as our program, you know, really as a leader in our program. Um, and then, you know, take the next step uh, in our offense, in our system. I think it's no secret, you know, that we run a pro-style system, that he's got a lot of control at the line of scrimmage. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking for him to utilize that control. And, you know, I mean, he's, like I said, we, uh, you know, Jacob asked the question, we've gotten a lot of classroom time, a lot of time for him to really delve into the offense um, and learn the ins and, uh, excuse me, the ins and outs. Um, and so it's, and we're excited for him to go out there and apply that on the field. You know, he's got, um, you know, great talent around him. And, 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 you know, my expectation is that he's going to go take advantage of all the work that he's put in, in the off season. Yeah. Control and command of the offense. Those things are going to need to take maybe not quantum leaps forward, but certainly you still want to see that progress from year one to year two. Right. I mean, look, this is, this has been what Davis Mills has been, has been aiming for throughout his entire career. You may, you, I'm sure many of you know the, the circuitous road that it took for him to get there. But now it's here. And hopefully he stays healthy for the Stanford Cardinal all season long and is able to build on some things that he showed throughout the course of last season. Final thing with Tavita Pritchard, and one of the big issues to watch with Pac-12 football this year is the fact that there are no fans allowed in any of the home venues this year. I asked Tavita Pritchard, when you take the crowd out of the hostile environments that Stanford would normally be facing, I mean, they're still going to be hostile environments because they're still going to be playing some pretty good ball teams in Oregon, in Washington, and in Cal. But when you take the crowd out of those environments, how does that change things? Davida Pritchard's thoughts. Troy, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be right with you, and it's going to be eerie walking in some of those places. You know, having grown up in the Northwest myself, uh, grew well accustomed to, to, you know, Husky Stadium and Otzen, um, and knowing both the reputation of those places by experience and just from hearing about them. Um, it's it's, it's going to be strange, you know, but uh, I think it's uh, just, just another one of those challenges that we talked about that's going to be unique to this season. Um, and our guys are ready. You know, we've talked a lot about adapting. And, uh, you know, whether that's the environments that we're going to play in, uh, the practices that we're going to have, the travel arrangements or the protocols that we're going to have to do between testing and all these different things. I mean, the, the, the theme, one theme for our guys in, in this current season is adapt, you know, and, and, and it's one thing that I know our guys are, are well aware of. And that's not just for our players. Right. I mean, that's certainly for our staff as well. Yep. You got to adapt. You got to adapt. And, and, and really, I think that is going to be critical to Stanford's fortunes this year, not just offensively, but, but throughout the entire team. Can Stanford's offense adapt to its strength being in its wide receivers and its quarterback? Used to be the offensive line. That dictated a lot of the play calling that we saw during that time. Used to be the running backs, too, with McCaffrey and Love in the backfield. But now it's the, it's the quarterback and the wide receivers. Can Stanford now adapt to its strength being in its passing game? Can Stanford's defense adapt and grow as the season goes along and as the weather gets worse? And can everyone adapt to what will be a remarkable season? Those are the things I'm sure that are on everyone's mind. 
Tafita Pritchard's mind, Lance Anderson's mind, and David Shaw's mind as we get closer and closer to the return of Stanford football on November 7th in Eugene. Looking forward to it. Well, the third time has got to be the charm for the Pac-12 with the football schedule, right? Well, we'll find out, and hopefully we start finding out all the answers that we need to find out about everyone up and down the Pac-12, of course, including the Stanford Cardinal, starting on November the 7th, and it starts early with the 9 a.m. kickoff that day, Arizona State at USC, the kickoff to what should be an intriguing and certainly what will be a memorable and remarkable Pac-12 schedule. Let's get a Pac-12 football expert's thoughts on some things that we could possibly see in the months ahead, including for the Stanford Cardinal. You see him on Fox Sports. You see him on the Pac-12 Network. You hear him on SiriusXM, the Pac-12 channel, former Stanford wide receiver from 2003 to 2007, and one of my favorite guys to talk ball with. It's been too long since we've caught up with Evan Moore. Evan, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? I'm good, Troy. You know, I always enjoy coming on, man. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. And like you said, it's this is our third attempt at this. If you include uh, the original schedule release, and then then we had the modified schedule of ten conference games. Then and then after the postponement on August 11th, here we are with our third attempt. So hey, you know, it's not going to be perfect, but we get football, and I'm as excited as you are to talk factual football. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and the original iteration of the schedule, we would have been all headed to, towards uh, South Bend uh, this week to go to Notre Dame. That's right. Obviously, that's out the window. But, you know, as long as everything uh, ramps up and we're all able to pull this off as safely and as, as responsible as we possibly can, that is all right with me. But let's start here uh, with the announcement being made on Saturday morning. I was laying in bed checking Twitter at 730 and it came out. <laughs> what, what were some of your knee-jerk reactions to the Pac-12 schedule after it was released? on Saturday morning yeah so going into the weekend we and before getting the you know the actual schedule on on Saturday this past Saturday um, we were all aware that okay there's going to be you know it's going to be a seven game season which includes the championship week a six game regular season so everyone will have that seventh game even those that are outside the conference championship game um, which I thought would leave us with three home three away and I thought we'd have a balanced regular season schedule for each team I was just really anxious to see what the crossover games would be um, because every team would play one team from the other division, right? You play your five divisional opponents uh, and then you play that one crossover game. If you're a North team, you play one South team and vice versa. Um, so I was anxious to see how that would be decided and also how that would, you know, if, if that took priority, how that would impact um, kind of the construct of the rest of the schedule for some of these teams. And the reason I say that and why I was interested to see how it would be decided is so much already for the Pac-12 has been made of the fact that, hey, um, it's at most a seven-game regular or six-game regular season and one championship game. This is for whoever wins the conference. They will, play, they will have played seven games. Um, they will have started two weeks later than the Big Ten. Uh, they will have started several weeks later than the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12. And we can't help ourselves in college football but to immediately go to what it means to have a crack or have a shot uh, at winning a national title. Now, it's, it's getting way ahead of ourselves in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it's not. It's, it's you know, asking the question of, is seven games, assuming there's no interruptions, uh, is seven games enough for the Pac-12? And so that's why I immediately kind of went to, well, okay, if seven games needs to be enough to, when this thing's all said and done, to gauge where the Pac-12 stands relative to the rest of the country, then I'm really anxious to see how this schedule is built. 
is it built for success? Are we looking, are we saying, okay, the two favorites probably the, um, when, before this thing kicks off, I think the two favorites in the conference will probably be Oregon and USC. Uh, are they, do they schedule for success or do they put, do they prioritize other elements um, of how the schedule is built? And what I was able to kind of, after seeing the schedule released this past Saturday and just hearing some of the comments from the associate commissioner, you know, Merton Hanks, who was recently hired um, at the PAC 12 and some others within the conference was uh, that wasn't really a priority was scheduling for quote unquote success. And it was more about um, as far as the crossover games go, it was more about, uh, a maintaining the three home three away for the six games. Mm-hmm. And then B, uh, and this one was interesting is not disrupting the cadence for divisional games in future years, meaning, uh, Stanford, let, let's just use Stanford and Oregon as an example. Um, they play each other every year cause they're in the Pac-12 North and that game rotates between Palo Alto and Eugene. So there's a cadence to it. And this year they wanted to stay on schedule with that. So they wouldn't, get in the way of future years and have like three straight years of, in Palo Alto or three straight years in, in Eugene. And so that game this year just happens to be on the road in Eugene because it was at Stanford last year. And so they couldn't get in the way of that. They wanted to maintain that. And that kind of dictated where the crossover game would fall because you still got to maintain three home, three away, and you don't want to get in the way of divisional cadence. So I think the, in a lot of ways, the Pac-12's hands were tied. One of the positive things that came from this is SC and Oregon, for example, don't play each other mm-hmm. in regular season play. And they could potentially, you know, I, Stanford may have something to say about this, but they could potentially meet up in the conference title game uh, as two undefeateds, which would be really interesting. I think from the outside looking in, some people would look at that and say, well, wow, like that looks like that was done on purpose. But I, I don't think it was. I think the other two parameters that I just explained, I think really set the tone for the whole schedule and everything else just fell in place. And we're all kind of left to speculate on how intentional some of the other stuff was, but um, some good matchups. It's a, it's a very much abbreviated schedule and we just got to hope there's no delays and we can push through this thing uh, as quickly as as smoothly, I should say as possible. Yeah. It kind of seems like it was spread pretty evenly as far as competitive balance uh, amongst everyone and not just the so-called front runners. And I was quite honestly glad to, glad to see that Uh, given that, and I'm not going to ask for picks or predictions or anything like that, because making predictions this year has, has just made fools of us all to this point. So I definitely won't put you (laughs) in that position, but overall grand scheme of things, you might've mentioned it here, Oregon and USC, the, the supposed favorites as, as we speak right now here in early October, but, but what's your overall read uh, on the conference right now as far as teams that could possibly make some big-time noise this upcoming season? Yeah, well, again, I think you hit it there with, with – now, got to keep in mind, I mean, Oregon, I think, would, would have been the overwhelming favorite to win the conference prior to a lot of its opt-outs. Right. Um, you know, Panay Sewell, their left tackle, um, and then some really good defensive players, Brady Breeze, uh, Javon Holland, and Thomas Graham have opted out. Yamador Lenore is now coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, those will all have a big impact on that roster because the thing, thing we have to remember about Oregon is they're, they're, while it's extremely talented and they've recruited really well, there are some unknowns, right? I mean, you have an entirely new offensive line now that Panay Sewell's not coming back. He was the only one that was returning. You have a new quarterback and Tyler Shuck, who is talented, but you know, we don't know how he's going to respond until he becomes the guy and has to play every snap. Um, and on defense, you got some newcomers, right? Talented, but new. So with the opt-outs, I think it, the, the top even gets a little bit murkier. Uh, SC is another one with a lot of continuity on offense. Uh, Jay Tufele, their best defensive tackle, has opted out. Um, they have a new defensive coordinator in a, in a modified offseason and a, and a short, short offseason with very little training camp in Todd Orlando. 
So even the top, Troy, to be honest with you, I think there's, you know, those are the two teams I would probably point to still on paper, but there's a lot of unknowns, right? I mean, this is a, this is a weird year. We've already seen it so far in college football. You look at the big 12, I mean, Oklahoma, yeah. you know, they got their share of issues, but at the same time, uh, they've already lost two games to teams that, you know, really shouldn't they have no business beating them like that. And Texas losing this past weekend to TCU as well. I say the SEC so far is the only one that seems to be going according to plan uh, with Georgia, Florida, and, and, um, and Alabama kind of being the top teams in that conference. So outside of the top, and I say all that because I, I'm, I'm anxious to see how the top of the conference, as we perceive it today, how it actually performs, uh, given that this is such a strange year and some of these, some of these uh, teams have lost key players. Beyond that, uh, there's a couple teams that come to mind. I mean, the first one is Stanford. And not just because I'm on the tree cast with you and not just because uh, I'm a homer, but I think Stanford is undervalued this year. I think they have the best pure passer in the conference in Davis Mills. And if Davis can stay healthy and stay on the field all year long, I think we're looking at a guy that's possibly a top 10 pick. That's how talented I believe he is both, you know, through the air and on the ground with his legs, with, the, with, the, uh, with his athleticism. And offensively, he's got a number of weapons to throw to. It's a bummer to see them lose Walker Little this year. But I think there's enough guys coming back up front, and I think they'll be better and improved up front. The question I have for Stanford is how good are they going to be in their front seven defensively? Um, and that, that's largely a function of just, you know, Stanford's best years over the last decade where you couldn't run the ball on them. And it hasn't been the same up front for this team for the last few years. And if they can get back to stopping the run and being that nasty pass rushing team, um, they may return to the Stanford that we've come to love over the last, you know, 10 years with all the success they've had. Uh, the other one I'm anxious to, to get a look at this year, um, you know, and you know, I'll, I'll, quick note about Cal, a lot of guys coming back offensively, Bill Musgrave, their new offensive coordinator, they're going to have a good defense. That'll be a team you got to keep an eye on, mm -hmm. but a little more under the radar for me is UCLA. Um, it feels for me with UCLA, like very much a prove it year, both for Chip Kelly and his entire staff and their quarterback, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Um, he came in very highly recruited from the Las Vegas area. And the rap on him early on was, you know, he hadn't played the position a ton. And, you know, he didn't switch to quarterback till he was a senior in high school. Well, that's no longer an excuse, right? He's had plenty of experience um, at the position now in college. And it feels like the year where it, it all needs to come together. And there's a lot of talent there offensively. Uh, the concern for me for them is defensively because they were like number 122 or 23 in the country last year in yards allowed per game. If they can just cut that in half to like 60th or 70th and be adequate, um, that can be – UCLA could surprise some people with the talent level they have. I, I think it could be a team that, that after a couple games people go, oh, wow, SC's – or excuse me, UCLA is playing well. Um, so those are, those are some of the quick reactions I have to maybe some of the contenders in the conference. Obviously, Washington's a really tough team. Uh, they're well coached under Jimmy Lake. And then Utah is always going to be there. Once again, if, if we don't have, if we're not talking about Utah preseason, it means we're not giving them enough attention because the reality is under Kyle Whittingham and what that, what that program is, even if they have turnover, um, we just need to accept the fact that they're going to be in the mix every single year. And we're, we're probably best not overlooking them. Um, so they're, they're something that I don't want to ignore either. Yeah, Utah and Arizona State. I probably I don't I, I personally wouldn't put them out of the mix very much either. Uh, back to Stanford here for a second, and I, I think it's safe to say that you are an expert on Stanford wide receivers, having been one um, <laughs> yourself and knowing what it takes to play that position. Uh, 
Wilson, Weddington, Semi Fajoko, uh, Cyrus yeah. St. Brown, Bryson Tremaine. Yeah. Uh, coaches were very high on Colby Bowman back in the spring, and they also like Elijah Higgins, too, a youngster who saw a little playing time last year. Um, what impresses you most about the wide receiver room for Stanford this year, and how far can they help carry this team? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, going into last season, I felt this way about this group uh, for the most part um, and the talent they had on the outside. And, you know, I thought that we might see, and some of this was after talking to KJ Costello before last season at last season's media day, which was like last July in 2019. <laughs> and he'd made the comment. He said, look, we're going to, this was when KJ was, you know, the guy in the saddle and we thought he was going to start all year. He said, we're going to spread it out. And a lot of like what we lack in the run game, we're going to try to get, by just the talent we have at receiver by spreading you out and getting quick hitting plays and guys making plays in space. You said it. I mean, Michael Wilson, Connor Weddington, um, Simi Fihoko obviously came on big time last year. There's a number of weapons, uh, legit wide receiver weapons. And I think this group, you know, it's, it's easy to point to SC who has a talented group. Obviously they lose Michael Pittman, but there's other talented receivers there. Um, Washington state's always going to have their share of talented receivers as well. But Stanford's group, I would put up against anybody in the conference. And when you pair that with – because they, they really seem to have every type of receiver too. I mean, not all receivers are created equal. I mean, Simi Fehoko proved to be a big-time weapon down the field with his size and speed combo with his hands and his ability to, you know, make people avoid in space. Michael Wilson's proven, I think, over the last two years to be a, pr a pretty special player as well. And I'm, I'm anxious to see Connor Weddington take another step forward um, in this offense too. But you pair that with Davis Mills, who, like I said a minute ago, I think – really is the most polished passer in the conference and possibly in the country. Um, a guy I've got a lot of respect for as far as his football opinion is uh, Daniel Jeremiah being a draft analyst like he is. And mm -hmm. we were talking recently and he goes, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me who could be the guy that comes out of this season as possibly the number one overall pick that we like, a, like a Kyler Murray or a Baker Mayfield that going into the season, we didn't, no one would have called it. And he's like, and honestly, I think that guy, if there is one of those guys, could possibly be Davis Mills. And I said, I don't disagree with you at all. If he stays healthy and he stays out there, I mean, Davis is supremely talented. And you pair him with this group of, of receivers, and it could be a special year. Now, the interesting thing about this group is, is it leads you to believe that, hey, we might see a different Stanford football. We just keep airing it out and not, not you know, emphasizing the run. I think David Shaw always reminds us that um, – being a balanced offense is, is, is critically important to him. So uh, as good as this receiving group is, they just need, you know, offensively up front, not just in pass protection, but moving people in the run game and having a running back step up and be kind of the bell cow is going to be equally as important to allow those guys on the outside to get some run because that's just the philosophy of David Shaw. I mean, he's not going to want to throw it 60 times a game. This is not an air raid team. There needs to be some sort of balance. And so their success will depend on how well they run the football as well. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think it's, it's one of the real shames of, of, of last year is that we never really got to see what the Stanford offense was truly capable of outside of the yeah. first half against Northwestern. Then K.J. Costello takes the hit, and his season's pretty much submarine from there, and then bangs his hand against Oregon. And, and that was pretty much it for his season outside of that uh, moment of glory against Arizona. We will never truly know what the Stanford offense was supposed to look like uh, last yeah. year, and I think that's one of the real shames of 2019. A couple last things here for you. Um, it, as we speak – it is early Tuesday afternoon, October the 6th, 2020. Emphasis on October the 6th. Know what you were doing 13 years ago today as we speak? October the 6th, 2007 would have been preparing. Was this preparing to play USC at the Coliseum? 
This would have been game day at the Coliseum. Oh, this was actually game day because we're this not. Yeah, I guess it. the date, not the day. I got. To... <laughs> oh, okay. So the, what the, it's amazing you bring that up because if you recall that week, uh, the the previous Sunday I was with him. We lost TCO Strander because he, right. he had a seizure. Right. And so we practiced all week long with Tavita Pritchard as our quarterback, who's now the offensive coordinator there. And I mean, everyone knows how that went, right? Tavita just had the game of his life and threw, throws the winning touchdown to Mark Bradford. And it was, you know, going into that game too, we remembered what Jim Harbaugh had said about, you know, that we bow to no man and we're coming after USC. And we kind of looked at him like, are you crazy? Do you realize how much <laughs> SC's dominated this conference the last decade at, at that time, you know, but um, that to this day is one of the best memories I've had at Stanford. No question about that. How, how weird is it to not see Stanford USC on the schedule? this year i mean i have mixed feelings yeah. about this you could competitively it's probably a boon yep. for stanford to have to face colorado instead of usc but but man it, it, it's just not quite the same without seeing the trojans on the opposite sideline yeah that's a really good point and I, I should have brought that up earlier on reactions to the schedule you know it's part of the it's my understanding it's like part of the bylaws of the pac-12 that the california schools will play each other every year and that's significant because you know, there's two, two schools in the north, Stanford and Cal, and two schools in the Pac-12 south. So they're basically mandating two, two crossover games for each team every year in a normal season, you know, a normal nine-game conference schedule. This year, even with, even with you know, six games, uh, in, and again, Troy, we don't know how they're going to, outside of the Pac-12 title game on right. December 18th, right. those other games, that, that extra game that week that everyone's going to play, we don't have any clarity yet on how they're going to do that. Maybe they will find just attractive matchups like that. We'll see if Stanford and SC aren't in the conference title game. But that's a great point in that, you know, they, they, the crossover games did not include, you know, Cal playing either SC or UCLA or Stanford playing SC or UCLA, which is unfortunate. Uh, but like I said at the beginning, I think it was more about maintaining that divisional cadence and then just slotting in a crossover game where it fit within those priorities. But I, I'm with you. I mean, it just doesn't feel right. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> It's this is what 2020 is, man. And, and I, we're able to get football, uh, which is most important. And yeah, as fans, we, I, can, I can still sit here and complain about no Stanford and USC. But at the same time, it's like if that's if that's the only thing we're not getting, then I'll take it because I, we just got to get football on the field. Yeah, so, yeah no it is what it that. is. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hey, as, as you hinted at, maybe Stanford and USC do end up playing each other in the conference yep. championship game in mid-December. I certainly would not be mad at that. I am never mad when Evan Moore joins the show. Always breaks it down uh, better than just about anybody out there. And uh, it can't be another two years before we chat and have him on the show. I'll personally see to that. Evan, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Can't wait to see the season unfold. Hope you and the family stay healthy and safe and sane. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks as always. Troy, thank you, man. Anytime. Love to come on anytime. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, man, you bet. You, you know you're going to be back on soon. That's Evan Moore of the Pac-12 Network and uh, Fox Sports. I always love talking with him. UCLA as an under-the-radar team to watch. I'm not going to lie. I kinda, that kind of came out of the left field for me. <laughs> I wish you could see uh, the, the, the Zoom, uh, the video, uh, the look on my face when I heard him say that. I was like, wait, what? Huh? Whoa. Okay. All right. But you know what? Anything can happen in Pac-12 football. So I am not anywhere near totally ruling that out. But uh, good stuff from uh, from Evan Moore. 
Really interested to see what Cal does, because if anyone has has a bit of a tough schedule in a couple of respects, I certainly think it's the Bears. Their crossover is against Arizona State. I think that's the toughest crossover matchup um, of the entire uh, Pac-12 uh, as, as far as that situation is concerned, Cal versus Arizona State. And as mentioned earlier, Cal has to go to Pullman in mid-December. Ain't no telling what could be happening by that time, weather-wise or otherwise, around the Pac-12. So, a lot of intriguing things, uh, and I can't wait. I, I can't wait to dive into it all. I, I really can't, and I'm um, looking forward to getting into it. But most importantly, and I, I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, what's important to me isn't who wins, who's hoisting the trophy at the very end of it all. What's important to me isn't the fact that the Pac-12 isn't starting the season, Finishing the season is important and making sure that everybody gets there healthy and that the methods that the Pac-12 and all the member schools use to get to the end of the season are safe and responsible. That is my biggest concern right now. I always welcome your thoughts on the show. You can hit me up Twitter, hashtag TreeCast by far is the best way to ensure that I see your thoughts Man, another supersized episode. <laughs> a lot to break down. A lot to chew on. If you had to listen to this in two or three installments, I understand, right? <laughs> there was a lot to break down uh, from this week's show, but hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And we will see you again next time. Special thanks once again to our special guest, Evan Moore from the Pac-12 Network, former Stanford wide receiver, also with Fox Sports 2. And you also heard from Stanford football head coach David Shaw, Offensive coordinator Tavita Pritchard and defensive coordinator Lance Anderson. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet, just as dumb as the person who still refuses to wear a mask in this day and age. Treat everyone with respect, even if they don't look the same as you, and vote. I got my ballot in the in the mail on Wednesday. I might start up on that here in just a moment or so. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks a bunch. And we'll see you next time. On the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.